Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1179 in that Bible, Philippians chapter 2. And we are kicking off a new sermon series today, which I am excited about. This one has been brewing in me for a while and uh, just praying into the right timing. And it felt like the fall was the right time. But we are kicking this off today. We have put together a study guide to go with it. Uh, it's not necessary to, to get something out of the Sunday morning teachings, but it will definitely help. It'll help things go deeper. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there to help take the teaching and uh, just dig into it a little more with lots more scripture to look up. And uh, so if you're looking for study, that'll be helpful. And a lot of our life groups this fall are going through it as their curriculum. So you can grab those if one of your life group is there. Those are $5 and you can get them at the hub. But uh, we are starting a new series, The Upside Down Kingdom. That is not my term. That is a, a term that has been used in books and in sermon series before by other people. I didn't come up with it. It is uh, my prayerful take on it. But the premise of the series is, is that when Jesus arrived on earth, the heartbeat of his message when he started preaching was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is... The kingdom of heaven has arrived, Jesus said. When the king came, when Jesus arrives on earth, he begins to build his kingdom of heaven, no longer just leaving it in heaven, he starts to establish it on earth. And when Jesus comes and begins to build the kingdom on earth, he does a lot of teaching along the lines of, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And the subtext of that is, this is the way you should be living. That if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. We are citizens of Canada. More importantly, we are citizens of heaven. And as citizens of heaven, we, are, we should be very interested in what is this kingdom that we are citizens of all about. How are we supposed to live? How has the king commanded us to live? And so when Jesus arrived and said the kingdom of heaven is now here, our job as followers of Jesus is to live out the ways of the kingdom here on earth. We often think about heaven as, well, that's where we get someday. And of course, the fullness of it is a place that we will reach someday. But no, we actually start living like heaven now. We actually start living out the commands of the kingdom of heaven now. We actually get to experience some of the peace of heaven now. And we're going to see God face to face one day, but we get to experience some of his presence, some of his glory here and now by his Holy Spirit. So heaven is not just a far-off thing. It'll be in its fullness uh, uh, something that we experience in the future for sure. But we are part of heaven now. We start living heaven's way now. And as you look at the teachings of Jesus, as you look at the teachings of the apostles, very often the way that Jesus calls us to live, the way that Scripture calls us to live, is so different than the way I naturally want to live my life. It's so different than the way the world is telling us to live our life. It's so different than the way the devil, of course, would have us live our life. And so we've called it the upside-down kingdom. There is so much about what gets taught in the Word of God of how Christ followers are supposed to live that just feels backwards. It feels upside-down to what my flesh wants, to what sin wants, to what the world wants, to what the devil wants. It is so different. But then when we start living that way, we look so different. To the world around us. We look so different. We, we live in a holy way. 
And so we're going to take the next number of weeks just to explore some of the ways we are called to live as part of this kingdom. And it's not always easy stuff. It's challenging because it is so different. It is so backwards. It is so upside down. But if we are citizens of the kingdom, then we are to live out the ways of the kingdom. And this is our tagline for the series. To learn the ways of the kingdom is to find the will of the king. To learn the ways of the kingdom is to find the will of the king. As we explore the way scripture calls us to live, we are really finding the way that God wants us to live. And if we want to live in a way that is pleasing to God, we got to figure out what that is and what that looks like and how we can live that out more and more. To learn the ways of the kingdom is to find the will of the king. As followers of Jesus, we always want to be walking in the will of God. So a number of years ago, I was at a big missions conference in Toronto, and it was called uh, Missions Fest, and they've renamed it. But this was a big national conference, and I went one year. Lauren Cunningham was going to be the main speaker, and there were a lot of other big speakers there as well. But Lauren Cunningham founded YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And so this is a missions organization that got bases all over the world, just I think thousands, it would be safe to say, all over the place. And people go there, and it's kind of a training center for missionaries, and they go, and they go for six months, and they get trained, and they get taught the word, and, and they get prayed for and filled with the Spirit, and then they get sent out into the mission field. And our church at that time had a connection to a YWAM base in Barbados, and so I had been there a couple of times and been involved in some teaching and some training there. And so Lauren Cunningham, who founded this great missions movement, was going to be the speaker. And so me and my friend Jesse went, his wife Heather was there as well, and we went to Toronto, and we heard Lauren Cunningham, and he was just the most incredibly humble, gracious man of God. And as a CEO of this major international organization, he was just really down to earth. He was really uh, just very humble, and he, he traveled a lot because he wanted to see what was going on in the ground. It wasn't like he just hid out in an office all the time. And, uh, and even though he was the head of this massive organization, he lived on missionary support, just like all of his missionaries. And so he had to go around and ask people for money to support him being a missionary, even though he could easily have drawn a salary. And it was just very cool. It was a very cool way, uh, a very cool organization and he was such an inspiring guy. And as we were leaving, we were getting ready to drive home. We had a bit of a drive ahead of us, and so uh, my friend Jesse said, well, let's just hit the bathrooms before we go. And standing outside the door in the lobby uh, were all these volunteers, and they were there, and they had these lanyards around their neck. And so there was a man standing there, and he had a lanyard around his neck, and he looked a little something like this. We hadn't seen him before ever, but he wasn't wearing a suit. He was just in just very casual wear with a lanyard. And Jesse said, hey, uh, can you tell me where the bathrooms are? And he said, uh, no. And Jesse said, you don't know where the bathrooms are? Like, he, he's a volunteer. You don't know where the bathrooms are? He's like, yeah, sorry, can't help you. I don't know where the bathrooms are. And then Jesse's wife is pulling on his hand like this. And he's like, what, what? You don't know where the bathrooms are? Okay, fine. And then she pulls him away. And she goes, Jesse, do you know who that is? And he says, no, I don't know. And she goes, that's Tim LaHaye. He wrote the Left Behind series. He's one of the speakers at the conference. And to which Jesse's response, which I still love, was, well, for a smart guy, he didn't know where the bathrooms were. <laughs> but, I mean, if you didn't know what he looked like, and if you don't know what the Left Behind series are, these were a series of books that were written, like, late 90s, early 2000s, and it has to do, it's a fictional account of what the end times might be like, and they sold over 65 million copies 
uh, in the early 2000s, he was one of the best-selling authors on earth. Not best-selling Christian authors, just best-selling authors, period. So he's a multi-gazillionaire, and he was a speaker at this conference, and as he was there, uh, you know, just dressed in casual clothes, he has a lanyard around his neck, and not knowing who he was, he looked like a volunteer. He just looked like a regular volunteer, which is why we asked him where the bathroom was, and then it made more sense after why he didn't know where the bathroom was, because he's Tim LaHaye. He doesn't need to answer questions like that. But he, he just, he caught us off guard. Like, he, there was nothing about him that said, I'm a multimillionaire, right? Like, he was, he was in the lobby. He was hanging out. He just hands in his pockets. He just looked like an ordinary guy, uh, just very unassuming. And afterwards, I remember talking to Jesse and thinking, like, that's pretty cool, considering he's, he's kind of a Christian superstar, right? Like, he, it would have been very easy for him to say, like, oh, I don't want to get mobbed in the lobby, or I just want to stay, you know, backstage. I don't really want to talk to anybody. But he was out there. And so as he's out there, of course, other people who were smarter than Jesse and I would have recognized who he was, and, and I'm sure he would have been ready to sign autographs, and he would have been ready to take selfies, and he would have been ready, I don't think we took selfies 20 years ago, but um, <laughs> a simpler time, a better time, but he, he was just there, and, and just completely unassuming, and because he was unassuming, we just, we didn't recognize him for who he was. We didn't understand that, oh, this is a super wealthy guy with a tremendous amount of influence right now around the world, um, but was just there, was just humble, and was just uh, gracious and, and just available, and it was pretty cool to see, because even in the Christian celebrity world, you don't always see that. And it's not at all the same as Jesus in one way, of course, because Jesus is a whole other level, but uh, when Jesus came, Scripture says, we didn't recognize him for who he was. When Jesus came, uh, he came unassuming. He came humbly. He came in an unexpected way. And, and we didn't realize who he was. And even the disciples didn't fully get it uh, until after he rose from the dead. And so the passage we're going to look at today deals with this a little bit. So let's take a look. We're in Philippians chapter 2. Well-known passage. We're starting in verse 5. The Apostle Paul is teaching says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So there's a, the Bible college word for what we're talking about here is Christology. And it literally just means the study of Christ. And there are people who just give their whole lives just to studying what does the Bible say about Jesus? How do we understand Jesus? Who is Jesus? What was the nature of Jesus? And the early church really wrestled with this for quite a long time. Uh, you know, Jesus comes, and, and we take for granted now because it's been part of our faith statement for so long that Jesus comes, and he is fully God, and he is fully man. But the early church wrestled with that for a while. And just, was he, was he God, actually, or was he created by God, or was he sent from God? And, and so they wrestled all through it, eventually came to the place of understanding from Scripture that, no, he's fully God, fully man. This would be one of the crucial passages to help us understand who Jesus is. If we're studying the nature of Jesus, what he did, and who he was, this passage is going to be crucial to that because we get this very nice snapshot of who Jesus is. And then part of that being that Jesus wasn't 
really looking the way you would think a king would look. Jesus didn't really look the way you would think a god would look. But in, as we talk about this upside-down kingdom, we start by understanding in the kingdom of heaven, to go down is to actually go up. Down is up. To lower yourself is to actually be exalted by God later. Uh, and, and it's just, again, it's very counter to our natural instincts. But, uh, but Jesus models this for us. So, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The context of the passage is relationships. Although we get a lot of really good theology about Jesus in there. In your relationships with one another, whether that is church relationships, whether it's marriage, whether it's friendship, whether it's the workplace, the context is this is how you should treat one another. This should be your mindset. This should be your attitude whenever you are engaging with others. Last week we talked about the beauty of the church is that we do it together. We do life together. We pursue Jesus together. We learn together. We discern together. We grow together. That when we come together, the Spirit is magnified within us as we all come together. When we join together, uh, we can do so much more than any of us can do by ourselves. We can all walk with Jesus on our own to some extent. But the beauty and the power of church is that when we come together, God moves more. He just does. Because none of us have all the gifts, none of us have all the insight, none of us have all the wisdom. And so we come together and we are centered around Jesus, as we talked about last week. Verse 6 says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That Jesus, when he came, said, I actually didn't come to be served, even though I am the Son of God. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to be waited on. When Jesus was in heaven, before he came down, he had angels upon angels upon angels serving him and waiting upon him. And that's appropriate when you're the king. The king is waited upon. God is served by others. And yet when Jesus comes down, there is uh, what we sometimes call there is an emptying. Uh, the Greek word is kenosis. There is an emptying. That Jesus doesn't change his character. He doesn't change his, his nature. He doesn't leave behind those parts of being God. But he obviously lays aside some of it. He lays aside the fact that uh, God is everywhere at once and Jesus was confined to one place. That God is, is glorious in such a way that no one can look at him and live, Scripture says. But you could look at Jesus and live. Jesus laid aside some of the divine majesty in order to become a person, become a human. And not just that, this passage says, become a servant. That even though Jesus was God and had the right to come down, I mean, it would have been so easy just to come down as God, right? Just to have a, the sky split apart and him come down in glory, have everybody see it. In Scripture, whenever anybody encounters the Lord or even one of the Lord's angels, their first reaction is to fall on their face and think they're going to die. The first word out of every angel's mouth in Scripture is, calm down! Fear not! There is something about the divine glory that is just very overwhelming, apparently, when you see it that clearly. And Jesus could have come that way. He could have come in glory. He could have come in power. He could have come down and just said, hey, here's how we're going to build this kingdom on earth. I'm going to go and take Caesar's throne, and then I'm going to rule the civilized world, and then everyone will see my glory, and they'll all follow me, and that'll be that. He could have done it that way, but he didn't at all. His path was upside down. It was backwards to the way that we might think something should happen. 
being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Even though he was God, he didn't use his godness to benefit himself. He didn't use his godness to make his own life easier. He didn't use his godness to further his own agenda. He lived a life entirely focused on obeying his heavenly father. And he said, I don't do a single thing here on earth unless the father tells me to. He gave his life entirely in obedience. So even in the fullness, being in very nature God, the fullness of being God, he didn't use that for himself. And in your attitudes with one another, this is to be your mindset, Scripture says. We are to follow the example of Jesus. From the very beginning, our problem has been, humanity's problem has been, we want to be God, ultimately. We don't like being told what to do. We don't like having to depend on others. We are independent in our sinfulness. And from the very beginning, the nature of the temptation that came to Adam and Eve was, eat this forbidden fruit and you will be like God. You'll be God. You won't need a God. You'll be your own God. You'll have all the understanding you need. You'll have all the wisdom and revelation you need. If you just cross that line that God told you not to cross, you'll be like him. And there is something in our sinfulness that is very much still that way. That, yeah, we would rather do our own thing. We would rather do whatever our flesh desires. We would rather go our own way. Adam and Eve, from the very beginning, wanted to be God themselves. We have been following their example ever since. We have all wanted to do this. We have all wanted to go our own way. And yet when Jesus comes, he comes so totally differently. Adam and Eve weren't God, but we're trying to be like God. We're not God, but we're trying to be like God. Jesus was God, but didn't try to be like God. He took on the nature of a servant. He took on the, the path of obedience. He didn't come and say, I'm God, do it my way. He came and said, I'm going to do it the Father's way, and I'm going to follow after his example. Verse 7, rather than using his godness to benefit himself, he rather made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Again, just the most unlikely way he could have come, he came. And Christmas will be here before we know it, and we'll dig into that, just everything that happened at Christmas as Jesus comes as weak and crying and, and just tiny little baby. He comes in the most unlikely way. He lives a life not of wealth and power and privilege. He lives a life of poverty. He lives a life man of sorrows, as we sang today. He lives a life of struggle. He lives a life of pain. He emptied himself and became nothing. He made himself not just a human, but a human in a low place, a low class, a low lifestyle. Jesus took the lowest possible place, because in the kingdom of heaven, down is actually up. You lower yourself in the kingdom of heaven. You don't exalt yourself. And so when Jesus is washing feet in John's gospel, uh, we can hear the story so much that it loses the oomph, it loses the impact. But this is God Almighty scrubbing filthy, stinky feet. Like, this is the creator of the universe. This is the king. If Queen Elizabeth were to do this right now, we'd think it odd if she were to start washing people's dirty feet. And yet Jesus, obviously much higher, much greater, much more glorious, Jesus is washing feet. He took the lowest job that a servant could do, and he did it. And he said, now that you have watched me do it, you should do the same thing. Now that you've watched me serve in the lowest spot, don't be upset to take the lowest spot. Consider it an honor to take the lowest spot. And you serve in my example, because in the kingdom of heaven, down is up. 
Jesus would tell a parable in Luke 14, the parable of the wedding seats. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that in the, the Middle Eastern culture of the time, where you sat at a wedding was hugely important. It's not quite the same today. There's usually today, there'll be the bridal party and the, the parents and immediate family maybe sit closer to the front, but it doesn't really matter where you sit other than that. But there's quite a hierarchy in an ancient Near East wedding. And where you sit says a lot about what the host thinks about you and how important that you are. And so Jesus says, when you go to a wedding, he says, don't presume to sit in the higher seats. Don't presume to sit in the seats of honor. Because the host might come along and say, what are you doing? Someone more honorable than you is here. Get out and give them your seat. You go sit at the back, and you'll be humiliated in front of everybody. But Jesus says, when you go to a wedding, take the lowest seat. Take the seat with the least honor. Take the lowest position. And then the host will come along and say, friend, what are you doing in the low seat? Come on up to a better place. Come on up to a higher place. Come on up to a seat of honor. But the point is, you let the master do that for you. You don't presume it yourself. And times in my life, I was reflecting this week that uh, we've been here five years now. And about six years ago, we were in Sudbury. We were pastoring at the Pentecostal church up there, one of the Pentecostal churches. And uh, and we're just feeling the Lord beginning to stir that change was coming and, and that uh, we weren't going to be there too much longer. And so I began to apply to different places. I began to send my resume out. And I sent my resume pretty much everywhere. Every Pentecostal church that was open, we began to apply. And there were some that we were kind of excited about and some that we weren't so much, but we just applied everywhere. And, and I wasn't getting any feedback. I wasn't getting any, any returns. I wasn't getting any calls or emails back. And so I cranked it up a notch and started talking to my friends who were in ministry and said, like, hey, I'm putting my name at this church. Can you call them and just, just let me get my foot in the door? Can you just put in a good word for me, right? Like, you're connected, and they don't know who I am. And, and so I started to use all the tools that I could think of in order to get my name in there. And still, it was just a closed door, closed door, closed door. And then talking to denominational leaders and people who worked at our denominational office and saying, listen, this church, this job description, like there was one church where they said, like, we're looking for a pastor in their mid-30s who's been a lead pastor before but uh, has a teaching gift and really wants to help people walk more like Jesus and, and, and bald, too, with the beard. And <laughs> not the last part, but the first part. And I thought, oh, I should at least get a call. Like, there, there's not that many of us who would fit all the criteria they were looking for. It might not be the right fit, but I should at least get a call. And it's like, oh, I knew the guy who was the head of the search committee in that church, and I thought, I'm in for sure. And then I never got a call, and I looked at that guy and went, what does that mean? I thought we were, huh. And then that was the point where my wife said to me one day, maybe we're not supposed to be in the Pentecostal church anymore. Like, maybe... God is shutting these doors because there's something else for you. And I'd been trying so hard, and I'd been getting so frustrated. I'd been working so hard, trying to make it happen, right? Praying the whole time, submitting to God's will, of course, but man, I was working hard to make it happen. And then once we sort of had that, that maybe light bulb, we weren't sure yet, but we went, okay, well, yeah, maybe... Maybe all of these shut doors are God's way of saying there's something else. And so at that point, we said, you know what? We're not going to force anything. We're not going to try anything. If we see something interesting, we'll throw our name in. And other than that, we're not going to do anything. And then just one day out of the blue, uh, I heard about this church called Meadowbrook Church. Hey, there's a teaching pastor job available. You go, wow, that job description looks ideal. And that 
that location is ideal. Sarah's from Essex County. That's amazing. And I had really fallen in love with Anabaptism while I was working on my master's degree. How about that? It's an Anabaptist church, huh? And that time when I emailed it in, Sherry Whitfield emailed me back in less than a day. Said, hey, we want to go to Next Steps. And then it just unfolded from there. But man, I wasted a lot of energy trying to, to force my way into a seat, trying to make that happen for myself. And when I reached the point of saying, you know what, Lord? You don't need my help at all, right? If you want something to happen, it'll happen. And if you want me to be at that church, I'll be at that church. If you want me to be at this church, I'll be at this church. But I'm not going to try. I'm not going to use people. I'm not going to use networking. I'm not going to do any of that, which was good because I didn't know any of you. I didn't know any Mennonites at all. So none of that would have helped me in this case. And yet when God's in it, it happens, right? God opens the door. God establishes it. We don't need to force ourselves into things. We don't need to make that happen. The point of the, the wedding seat parable is, you know, you, you just, hey, be faithful. Do what you're, so you know that you're called to be doing. God will lead you to the next thing when it's time. If you need a promotion, God will promote you if it's time. And if it's not, that's okay. This fall, it's 18 years I've been in ministry at, at a few different churches, and the number of times, this happened at this church and every other church as well, the number of times someone will walk in on a Sunday morning, and it's their first Sunday there, and the conversation will go something like this. So, hey, yeah, love the church, love the worship. We had a really good morning here. So how would I become a board member if I were to come here? <laughs> and my response is often, well, you know, we, we have a process that we go through, and it starts with this. What's your name there, stranger? And, you know, just hang out for a while, and, and we'll see what the Lord does. But, you know, we don't need to promote ourselves, right? In the kingdom, we don't do that. In the kingdom, we choose the last seat. In the kingdom, we choose service. We don't worry about uh, what's next. We don't worry about climbing a ladder. We don't worry about seats of honor. If God wants to move us, God will move us. And if he doesn't, we're content with where we're at. And we follow the example of Jesus as we do. C.S. Lewis famously said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility doesn't mean I beat myself up all the time. It doesn't mean I'm constantly just wallowing in all of my faults and weaknesses. Like, that could just be low self-esteem, uh, masquerading as humility. But humility says, I'm going to choose the lower way. I'm going to choose the, the least seat. I'm going to choose to put others first. I'm going to choose obedience to the Lord. And as I do that, I will trust that if anything needs to change, he's more than capable of taking care of that. And humility, of course, is what Jesus shows us so clearly. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When Jesus says, I don't do anything on my own, I only do what I see the Father doing, that's a life of obedience. That, that he's just, I'm only going to do what the Father shows me to do. And that's what we're to do as well. What is the Lord showing you to do in your life? Go and do that. It's given to us most clearly in his word, right? We follow what the word tells us to do, because when we do that, we are doing what the Father has told us to do. But it's so important, there's a reason we started with this message for this series, is that the whole gospel, like the whole salvation story that we're a part of, if we follow Jesus, doesn't work unless there's humility at work. Because in order to be saved, you have to acknowledge, one, I'm a sinner, without excuse and without any qualifications, just I am a sinner. And that takes humility, and a lot of people aren't willing to do that. You have to be willing to say, I need saving, and a lot of people aren't willing to do that. And then you have to be willing to say, I can't save myself, right? I'm a sinner, 
I need saving from that sin, and I can't save myself. Like, you have to lower yourself in order to even begin to walk with Jesus. Because you have to be able to say, the things I'm doing aren't good according to his standard. I'm not just doing my own thing and living my own life. You have to be willing to say, oh, I can't uh, just stay in this on my own. I need to be pulled out of it, and I can't do that on my own. I can't earn my way into heaven. I can't, by my own industry and accomplishment, make my way into right standing with God. I am sin I'm a sinner, and I need saving. And because I'm a sinner who needs saving, I need a Savior. I just can't do it on my own. So even to begin this journey with Jesus requires this lowering. It requires this humility of acknowledging all those things. And again, a lot of people will not lower themselves to that. A lot of people just won't. And it'll just be, hey, I'm doing my thing. You're doing your thing, right? You say it's sin. I don't think that's sin. You think that's a problem? I don't think that's a problem. And we don't ever get to that point where we actually can surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, I am going to put my trust in you because I am a sinner and I need saving. And I rec recognize that I can't save myself. But because you died for my sins, because you rose to conquer over death, I trust that as I follow you, I'm following you in your perfection. I'm following you in your overcoming. As you rose from the dead, I too will rise. As you overcame death, I too will overcome. Not because I can do anything on my own, but because I'm hitching my wagons to you, Jesus. And that takes humility. And that's not natural to us. We want to do our own thing and go our own way. Henry Nouwen said this, The society in which we live suggests in countless ways that the way to go is up. Making it to the top, entering the limelight, breaking the record. That's what draws attention, gets us on the front page of the newspaper, and offers us the rewards of money and fame. The way of Jesus is radically different. It is the way not of upward mobility, but of downward mobility. It is going to the bottom, staying behind the sets, and choosing the last place. Why is the way of Jesus worth choosing? Because it is the way to the kingdom, the way Jesus took, and the way that brings everlasting life. And Henry Nouwen's fascinating. I took a course on him when I was doing my master's. He was a Catholic priest in the 20th century. He lived in America for most of his life. And he wrote all of these little short books, and they're all really rich and really deep and really smart and, and encouraging and, and spirit-filled, and I would encourage you to read anything that Henry Nouwen wrote. Uh, we would disagree with some of his Catholic theology on some things, but the, the core of his teaching is so Christ-centered. And he became really famous, and so he came to America, and he works at Notre Dame Divinity, just a famous seminary in the States, and then he would eventually work at Yale Divinity and Harvard Divinity, just top-notch seminaries, and he started writing books, and he became wealthy, and he became just internationally renowned as a speaker. He was in high demand everywhere and was just famous all over the place. And somewhere along the way, this conviction landed on him, and he said, oh man, it is hard to follow Jesus when I'm making this much money and when I'm getting this much praise and I'm, I'm this famous. And so he actually left it all behind. And there's an organization called L'Arche, which is French for the Ark. And it's an organization, it's all over the place, and uh, it sets up homes for uh, people who have different physical and mental uh, disabilities and, and who struggle with different things, who can't live on their own, uh, who need some full-time care and full-time help. And so these homes are all over the place, and so uh, for this, you know, tenured professor, wealthy, best-selling author, world-renowned speaker, he left all of it behind, and he went to L'Arche, Toronto, and he gave the rest of his life to serving just one young man who, who was, had severe struggles in life and 
uh, couldn't feed himself or bathe himself or, or take care of himself. And so Henry Nouwen left behind all that fame and gave his life to serve and just spent the rest of his life with this young man named Adam and just spent every day with him and, and served him until he died, until Henry died. And so that's a challenging thing, he says, but I go, man, he lived it, right? He lived it. He was willing to walk away from all of it. That's not necessarily the call on every single one of us. And I'm not saying you can't, you know, have a, a job or a house or anything like that. But it just challenges us when the world is screaming at us, get more, right? Climb higher. Make a name for yourself. When the flesh is saying, hey, get more praise, get more attention, draw more for yourself. When the enemy is saying, you don't need God, be your own God. The way of Jesus is just so upside down to all those things. And it's not easy to fight against the pull of our culture. And it's certainly not easy to struggle against the, the draw and desire of the flesh. But in a more recent example, Francis Chan did something kind of similar. Most of you would know Francis Chan. But planted a church in California, grew to 5,000, wrote a book called Crazy Love. Again, became an international bestseller, became well-known conference speaker. And then a few years ago, Francis said, oh, as I walked around my church, I realized the name Francis Chan was being spoken more than the name of Jesus. And my face was everywhere, and it was Francis Chan this and Francis Chan that. And so he walked away from all of it. And now he just plants churches in houses all over California. He just oversees this church planting network that uh, just plants little house churches everywhere. And he's kind of the overseer of that. And it's not a glorious position. It's not a prestigious position. But he says, oh, I'm just so happy. I feel like I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. And we know this. We know the myth is not true, that if we get more money, we'll be happier. If we get a better job, we'll automatically be happier. We know that's not true. And yet there is something in us and something in the world around us that keeps drawing us to that place. The way of Jesus is so different from that. Jesus didn't make himself more. Jesus made himself less. And the end of the story, verse 9 to 11, Scripture says, Therefore, because he took on human nature, because he lowered himself, because he was obedient even unto death on a cross, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The end of the story isn't just all of us being really, really low all the time forever. And it might happen in this life, it might happen in eternity, but there is a raising up that God does. There is a raising up that he does that happens. So it's not that we're just going lower for the sake of being lower. It's not that we're just humbling ourselves because he wants everybody with their face on the ground. It's that as we embrace that, as Jesus embraced that, there was reward to it on the other side. And again, the parable of the wedding seats is not that there's not better seats out there, maybe, but it's let God do it. You don't need to do it yourself. James says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Right? So I don't need to lift myself up. We don't need to exalt ourselves. We don't need to, to do all those things. We humble ourselves before him. When he knows it's right, the door will open. When he knows it's right, the position will be available. When he knows it's right, he will bring you to that place. When he knows it's right, he will lift you up. It's not our job to lift ourselves up. It's our job to do the humble thing. It's our job to lower ourselves. It's our job to put others first, and we'll be exploring some of these things as we go through the whole thing. Uh, and as we do that, there's a tremendous amount of trust required, right? There's trust required in that, because the, the human side says, hey, uh, if I don't do it, no one will do it. 
right? If I don't make it happen, it won't happen. But the trust required to say, I'm going to trust that God's in control. I'm going to trust that he knows what he's doing. I'm going to trust that he understands more than me. I'm going to put my trust in him. And I'm going to be faithful to what he's called me to do right now. And as I do that, I trust that if there's more, he will do the more. I don't need to do it myself. I don't need to press for myself. I don't need to raise myself. I can lower myself and choose that way. So when the world says, climb the ladder, the kingdom of heaven says, Jesus went the other way, actually. When the flesh says, exalt yourself, get praise for yourself, get attention for yourself, Jesus says, actually, I, I just made myself less. I gave up the praise in order to take on the nature of a servant. When the devil says, you don't need a God, you can be your own God in one way or another, Jesus says, even being God, I submitted myself to God the Father. And, and I chose the way of humility. I chose the lower way. I took the lower seat. I chose that path. In the way of the kingdom of heaven, down is actually up. It's backwards to what everything around us is saying, but we trust that he knows what he's doing. And as we follow his example, we too will be lifted up in one way or another. In this life or the next, we too will be raised up. And we too will receive the blessing that comes from living a life of obedience and humility before the Lord, putting others before ourselves and serving him in that way. If you have any questions about the message today, we do have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. We'll be happy to chat more if you want to keep that up. So today was a bit of a kickoff uh, in terms of the practical. Uh, it's more just an attitude check rather than giving you specific things to do this week. But, but as you check your attitude, think about what does that look like, right? Where am I uh, pushing for myself? Where am I raising myself? Where am I seeking, uh, maybe not even power, but where am I just seeking self? Where am I seeking acknowledgement? Where am I seeking praise? Where am I seeking glory? Maybe where am I seeking position? Where am I trying to climb the ladder? And then what does it look like to follow Jesus' example in your specific situation? Jesus, who lowered himself of everything, ended up washing feet from the, the thrones of glory and 10,000 times 10,000 angels singing your praise and waiting on you. Jesus goes to the scrubber of feet in a, a poverty-filled, difficult, sorrowful life. And he does that out of obedience to the Father. He does that because he loves us. He does that to set the example for us. To learn the ways of the kingdom is to find the will of the king. If we want to live a life that is pleasing to God, uh, we have to embrace this upside-down kingdom. We have to learn how to live in a way that might seem backwards to the way our flesh wants to live or our world wants to live. But that's the only way to please the Lord who set this example for us. It's the only way for us to make him happy. As we learn the ways of the kingdom, find the will of the king, and then as we walk it out together. Would you stand with us, please, as we close in worship? So we got some stuff to pray through this week and, and wrestle through. Take a look at the scripture again. And, you know, I'm not saying like Henry Nouwen, we all need to abandon everything and, and leave that. If, and if God tells you to do it, you should do that. Um, but wherever you are and wherever you're at, just to pray into that and say, Lord, what does it look like to embrace that humility where I am right now? What does it look like? to make myself nothing, to be a servant. What can that look like? I mean, the, the king can still do that from the throne and, and be able to do that. And so uh, it's not necessarily about giving up stuff, but it's about where are we living this out? Where, where is our attitude? Where is our heart at? Where are we serving? Where are we putting others first? Where are we lowering ourselves and following that example of Jesus? 
As we get ready to go today, we will have people at the front who are willing to pray for you. These are people who've been trained by us, who we trust, who we've released for this, and everything will be held in confidence up here. And they're here to pray for absolutely anything. It can be maybe into the sermon today, or if you have any need at all. Uh, as we always say, whatever you're praying for, today might be the day that tips the balance on heaven's scales. Why give up an opportunity for someone to pray for you about whatever it is you're seeking God for? And as we do, we'll ask you just to go and visit out in the lobby, please, if we could just make this a place of prayer. So if we could clear out the sanctuary to the lobby, down to the cafe if you want, uh, and then we can just leave this as a private place where people can seek the Lord together. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, uh, your beautiful and challenging example that you set for us. And Lord, as we want to be more like you, Lord, we need to embrace that humility. We need to embrace that servant's heart. Uh, we need to have the same mindset, the same attitude of Christ Jesus, who even being God, did not really try to be God while he walked this earth, but took on the nature of a servant and made himself nothing. Lord, uh, there is application for this that you have for every single one of us. It'll probably be different person by person. But Holy Spirit, continue to speak to us now as we leave. As we think on these things, as we discuss them, as we chat about them over lunch, as we ponder them, unlock for us and unpack for us, for every single one here, what this means for them. Where do we go from here as we embrace the ways of this upside-down kingdom that you have called us to be a part of, this holy kingdom that is so different from the flesh and the world and the devil as we seek to be more like you, Jesus. Transform us by your spirit to make us more like you pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Say hi to someone on your way out. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.